Hi, and welcome to Dietless Living 360 Degrees, Overcoming Weight Loss Obstacles with me, your host, Katie Gordon. As a weight loss coach, I help my clients overcome their weight loss obstacles in six simple steps so that they can lose weight their way and lose it for life. But the old saying that it takes a village to raise a child also applies to reaching our weight loss and health goals. Because some of the obstacles that we have in life uh, reach out into many other areas of our life. They're in our relationships, work, in our businesses, our finances, our homes, in our families. There's a lot of things that are happening in our life that are actually impacting on our weight and health. And whilst how to overcome weight loss obstacles in six simple steps shows you how to create happy, healthy habits and maintain those through those challenging times, we actually also need professionals to help us resolve those obstacles. So with that in mind, Dietless Living 360 Degrees brings in those other professionals to help you. And today we have the wonderful and absolutely enchanting Amanda Page. Amanda helps people feel in control of change. She is the director and founder of Change Tempo Limited. She's a certified coach and a change expert in her own right. And her purpose for doing what she does is so that we can live in a world where everyone is fully equipped to deal with all aspects of change. Amanda has been coaching for 10 years, supporting individuals, leaders and teams to gain a healthy relationship with change. Amanda leverages her own personal experience in leadership and personal development and in change leadership that she's gained from a very long and very enjoyable career with global corporate organizations. So welcome to the show, Amanda. It's so great having you with us today. Could you please tell us a little bit about what it is that you do and the main way that you help your clients? Absolutely. So hi, Katie, and hi, everyone. Katie, it's such a pleasure and an honour, actually, to to be invited by you to be part of your um, series of videos. And uh, I think it's an amazing piece of work that you do. Uh, I love the holistic approach uh, that you take. So thank you very much. And um, so how I go about uh, what I do is that, uh, you know, we all know that change is hard. But we also know it can be the most liberating and wonderful experience. You know, when it's when it's done, we can look back and say, oh, my God, who would have thought a year from now (laughs) we'll be doing this or I'm doing this. So I think at the time, change is very scary. I think in organisations, especially, we lose sight of that. Um, You know, we sometimes view employees as cogs in a wheel rather than you know a group of individuals that are all experiencing change very differently I differentiate the difference between leading change and managing change managing change for me is about ensuring the work gets done it's about implementation and execution whereas leading change is more about the people side of change it's the emotion uh, the anxiety the values that we hold uh, dear to ourselves it's those rituals that we've always that we have in place that help us keep our world in order. And when change happens, all of that goes out the window. 
and it's a very scary place because it's as though the you know the floor's just been taken away beneath us and it's 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 scary to just get on the magic carpet and <laughs> you know and see where it ends up uh, and where it takes us so I think managers for me uh, you know I work with leaders who who want to improve their holistic approach to change like what you do it's not just change itself it's all that that surrounds it yeah. so I help leaders focus on the what's changing which is the new tool the new organization the new culture the new set of values or the new logo whatever it is uh, that's the what's changing the who's changing is the you know the people side the emotional side the the resistance the reactions and so on as I mentioned earlier and then there's the journey to get you from where we are today and where you need need to be yes and that is as important because I liken it to a holiday I mean, if I was to turn up at Heathrow Airport and say, right, I think I'll go to the Caribbean. So I don't have that kind of money to be able to do that. And I'm sure it's possible. But typically, we have to think about, well, where are we going to go for our holidays in the summer? And we plan it. And yeah. we think about how we can get there. What will the delays be like? You know, we've got to take that into a factor. Yeah. What, what could go wrong? So the insurance and so on. We don't just say, right announce the change and then everybody changes from this day forward everybody is doing this and everyone's happy about it (laughs) everyone's happy about it say come on everyone yeah and it's like and but the reality is no not again we're going to go through all this again and then it doesn't work and then we don't hear anything and then it just yeah so it's about that sorry this is a lot long answer to your question but you've got me on my no, but I love it, right? Because it's a great answer because you're really outlying or, or, or covering the details. What you're really doing is explaining the whole weight loss journey as well, right? Because it's Absolutely. the same thing. Yeah. yeah. I've had, I had a, a question in a post that I, that I uh, did a few days ago and I've been noodling on it before answering it because I was talking about how nostalgia and resentment, or, or we don't leverage nostalgia enough, and that resentment in um, can actually, and you'll you'll sort of tune into this, but stuff that's left behind is actually stopping us from moving forward because we carry that resentment, that negative energy with us, and we we struggle to do it. And I was thinking in organisations, there's that resentment if people don't feel appreciated. Yes. And um, for what they've done in the past. Yeah, and they're expected yeah. to just pick up and go with the new change yeah. without oh. recognition for what I've already done. Exactly. And somebody said, so the answer that asked the question, well, how do you help people differentiate between inertia and nostalgia? And I think for me, I'm, I've always been fascinated why inertia, which is about an object not moving, and yeah. then there are forces that enable an object, that inertia is associated with change because people people are change you know change is human it's not objects and I think sometimes we're treated as objects so I think but we are matter you know we're physical physical matter so it makes kind of sense yeah I think if you couple inertia with taking people back and getting them to experience the good old days and talking about what they can bring forward with them is a way of unlocking that negative emotion and letting go and helping People move forward and I think that's exactly what you're doing at, and, and both you and I do at an individual level as well so yeah it's an interesting 
area. And I think change has just become, with COVID and the pandemic, it's like, oh yeah, we're good at change now. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can <laughs> just do it. Really. Oh. And, and I think organisations are seeing that now, aren't they? That yeah. people are not complying. Uh, as, as the, the interesting thing, right, that you and I, because we had such a good conversation the last time yeah. we got together and yeah. you know, we could talk all day about it because this whole human factor of change and this is, you know, in the weight loss world, people don't talk about that at all. It's, it's yeah. not mentioned that and it's exactly the same losing weight as it is in companies, which is what you're dealing with and talking about and saying, okay, well, you want to bring in a change. Who's going to be affected? Who's going to be leading the change? What are the changes? Who's going to be resistance to the change? It's, it's all the same. There's so many things, like it's got so many tentacles that go out yes. when, when one person or one leader or one manager or one CEO wants to make a change. Yeah. 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 I think that vision you could almost map it and maybe that would be a good exercise for you and I to do case it'd be quite interesting sort of almost do a journey map of an individual and a journey map of an organization and 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 the and the steps involved you know because you know as an individual when you have a desire to do something different in your life or make your life different and, and better in some way that's your vision that an organization has you know we want to be able to do this now we want to be able to do that and that sort of defining the vision and then defining okay so what's that going to look like when you get there and how will you know you've got there and and outline what those observable things will be when you do that you create this sort of emotion in yourself and an emotion in your organization goes yeah that would be great (laughs) um but yeah that's for another day (laughs) but And it's true, right? I do actually, that is part of what I teach because oh. it's not ever included in weight loss world. All no. change is to, and all vision of the future is based around a number on a Wait. scale. Yes, exactly. It doesn't include anything else. And so oh. the journey of change that is required for us to take mentally, emotionally, as well as physically, we, we've got that conflict in our consciousness because one, of, one part of our consciousness, as we know, is going, this is who I am. But in our other part, we're thinking, yeah, but that's who I want to be. And there's no journey mapped out. Yeah. It's just if I lose the weight, I will be that person. And unless we actually enlist, and this is what you do as well, unless we actually enlist all the parts, all the team in a company and all the team in this person in the journey and what that change is, what does it really look like at the other end? Like where are we heading? Who are we? What are we changing? What, what you know, it's not just the weight that's changing or it's not just the company logo or the company position, <laughs> Right. What else is attached to that that is going to need to change to be that bigger picture? Well said, Katie. Is that that makes it, for me, sustainable? And then you get you get real, true, authentic change. Yes. Rather than, oh, we've got halfway through, this isn't going to work. But if we tell everyone it's working, <laughs> then, you know, 
people will be dragging it. that whipping that dead horse and dragging it to yeah. the water. Come on, we've made the change. Yes, exactly. So I really love what you do, Amanda, and I have plans for us to have a very bigger conversation at another date with some other people. I've got a a whole fiesta of um, panels and conversations around change that we can all have some point down the track. I've got a bit of a project in mind. I'll talk to you about it later. That sounds fun. Yes, I have a very big plan for us. Um, But what I'd like to talk to you about a little bit more about today is some of those uh, obstacles because we've all gone through great change in our life. Sometimes it's been, you know, a lot of the times it is thrust upon us and mm. we've and it's created hardships for us or it's actually just um, maybe not even something that we've wanted to change that's created the hardship, but a, a, a hardship that we've had to overcome within ourselves or within our life that, has created change for us. Can you think of a time that would fit for that for you? And if so, can you tell with us, tell us how you overcame that? Yes. Uh, I had a few to choose from, but I decided on, on, on one. And um, when I was, well, actually, when I was in my mid-20s, I uh, discovered that I was dyslexic and I had to, when I was writing my notes on this, I had to Google how do you spell dyslexic, which I thought was quite funny. Ironic. And I think that's my my sense of humour. <laughs> but um, yeah, I discovered that I was dyslexic in my mid twenties, and which came as a bit of a sort of a surprise. It was kind of like a relief and a sinking feeling at the same time, because there's that stigma associated uh, with dyslexia, or there was then in the 80s. Um, But I met, and how that all happened was that I met someone who said that he was dyslexic and that he he was explaining to me all about what he was finding, what he found difficult. And I thought, oh my God, I love this guy. He's just so open about who he is and and what this this is. I love it. I want to be like, (laughs) sort of really admired it. But as he was explaining things, I recognised a lot of what he was saying in terms of his challenges that I was having problems with. And I told him this because he's having a little quiet corner corner conversation. And he said, well, Amanda, he said, I'm going to give you a telephone number to call. And uh, the, um, the person on the other end is going to ask you one or two questions. And from your answer, he will he or she will tell you whether or not you're dyslexic. And I went, oh, that sounds interesting. We love it. It was like a little treasure hunt. Yes. I couldn't wait. So I rang them. Uh, So, yeah, this would have been in mid to late 20s, maybe early 90s at the most. Uh, Mid to late 80s, early 90s. So I rang them and the, the person at the other end of the phones asked me once we'd got to know each other a bit, he said, Amanda, when you were a baby, did you crawl and then walk or did you just get up and walk? And I went, I just got up and walked. Uh, I think I was about 18 months. And he said, that confirms that you are dyslexic. I sort of went, what? And it's, yeah, 
because dyslexic is a is an I don't know the, all the details, but it's associated with a motor. It's a motor yeah. order or disorder. I call, let's call it order. Yes. You know, the, the, the brain, you know, is wired differently. It's a, sort of a motor thing. So my legs were just not, um, were not working at all. I would just sort of sit there happily. And I recall my mother <laughs> taking me down the doctors on numerous occasions saying, there's something wrong. There's something she's just not moving. And, the, and they, they, they couldn't give her any explanation at all because in the 60s early 60s there wasn't that awareness or understanding of, yeah. of what dyslexia was um obviously my primary school thought I was an idiot I was a bit backward and treated me as so um and it wasn't until a new headmaster joined and he was just blown away just really shocked to see that there were so many young so many children like me who were struggling at reading yeah. So he set about putting in place classes with specialist teachers to help bring us all up to speed. And it, and it was, I remember it to this day when it all happened. So this was an interesting time for me at school, in primary school. I thought, how can I be an idiot? Because I feel like I'm really aware and I kind of make sense of things. I can be, yeah. remember being very aware at a very young age. So... I couldn't understand why that was. But the other thing, because once I'd found out that I was dyslexic, all the uh, dyslexic, all these uh, things started coming back to me. And um, what I used to do as a child, I used to write backwards. I wasn't left-handed. I was right-handed. I used to spend hours writing stories from back to front. So you wrote all the words back to front and the sentence back to front? Everything, yes. Right. And I could write normally. You know, yeah. that wasn't a problem. But, oh, I used to spend hours writing my because it was a bit of a challenge. I found it quite interesting that I could do both. So, I, you know, in a way I thought, oh, yeah, look at me. I can look, Mum. <laughs> um, and I called it uh, mirror writing. Yeah. Because uh, I used to hold it up to the mirror and read it. <laughs> This is this is so funny. Now but it is a, it's got. I don't know where you'd use the skill, but that is a skill. <laughs> it's a skill. <laughs> um, but I think it was just things I was natural. I was, you know, learning in children is a natural thing. Yeah. And I think you don't think about why you do these things. You just do them. And I think your brain is made. It's nature. It's just making you do it. Yes. That there was there hadn't there was no purpose to it. It's like play when you're a child. There is no purpose. It's play. Yes, it has a benefit at the end, and of course, play has a purpose in that way. But sometimes the games themselves just don't have any purpose. You're just in that moment and enjoying that moment. And I used to love it. Um, I think in that moment, that is those times where we are just playing. I was watching yeah. my friend's, um, I think he's five, his five-year-old son, playing. I was there visiting, having a cup of tea. His dad was out, now out the back hanging out washing or something. And I was watching his son play. And he was just having such a great time, you know, in his land of make-believe with his trucks and his toys and his helicopter and his things and his bits. And I think that play is really consolidating at that age, is consolidating everything that our brain is observing and learning and taking in and doesn't know what to do with it all because we're only little. 
But I'm sure that play is just consolidating. You know, it's acting out things that it's seen either on the TV or in the home or at school or it's, it's yeah. implementing it into some sort of order. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I agree. And, and it, interestingly enough, I did um, a little workshop in Denmark quite a few years ago with a coaching colleague of mine. And we were talking about how play is so important to us and that as coaches we could probably be a bit more playful or help our clients become a bit more playful yes it was it was was at a play conference (laughs) so it was just mayhem it was mad I loved it we had dressing up clothes in one corner drawing and art stuff in another I think we had musical instruments in another and everything else and we asked people to just grab what they fancied you know and put it on and play it and and then when we got everybody to sit down, <laughs> oh my gosh, I could see it now. You know, there's people sitting there with pink, fluffy wigs and fed blokes in feather boas, girls in ninja outfits, and everybody was dressed up and some were holding some musical instruments. And no word of a lie, it just felt the most perfectly normal thing to do. And we were all talking, <laughs> and we was going, oh, yeah, talking seriously about playing coaching. It was beautiful. Uh, I think, you know, as humans, we just don't be in that moment and just play. We are too busy being another role, aren't we? You know, corporate, we're working in our corporate role and we're in our corporate costumes. And if we're out on site, we're in our out on site costume. Wearing our uniform, yes. Yeah, exactly. And we don't play enough. It is one of the things I do teach uh, my clients because weight loss is so damn serious and it takes so, you know, true sustainable weight loss takes a while. But the, the fact that we need to play, you know, I used to say about myself, I, what I realised was I, uh, I wasn't unhappy because I was overweight. I was overweight because I was unhappy. And that I had to reintroduce play into my life mm. to be able to start to find happiness. But yeah. you're absolutely right that we don't have enough play. Imagine if everybody could go to work. Uh, dressed up. There's a costumes <laughs> box in the corner. Put your costume that- for the day. Do you know what, what a great idea, Katie? I think I'll recommend that especially if you know you want people to sort of get creative thinking yes well and if you're thinking about um we'll come back to the dyslexia in a minute but we have gone off on a little tangent however i love it (laughs) i would imagine if you know because there is a thing called uh sand therapy sand play therapy where you go and play uh in the sand with your uh toys and things and that's a way of working through the stories in our mind and our traumas so imagine in change management change leadership that everybody got to dress up like do that as a real life version instead of just singularly everyone got to go into the corner and dress up and and be the the part they want to play in the change or you know the the character that isn't on board with the change you know (laughs) maybe you go put on your um i don't know Pirate hat. <laughs> yeah, something. Exactly, your pirate hat. <laughs> but I'd yeah. like to come back to the dyslexia and how did you, so you, you found out in your 20s, your early 20s, that you were dyslexic. Yeah. 
And how did you sort of like how did that impact your life moving forward? Well, it certainly, I think um, up to that point, I, I, I was used to say to myself, how, how come I'm working so much harder than everyone else? How come I have to spend longer trying to understand things? So I tried to learn as much as I could about, about dyslexia um, and um, what it meant for me, because I think everybody has different kinds of symptoms. So reading for any length of time without my eyes darting all over the place or me falling asleep um, is a challenge. <laughs> Um, so, and, and if I do read, I like to have the physical thing yeah. in my hand. I, I, I struggle to express myself verbally in the moment. Um, if I'm kept, you know, if I'm placed on the spot, that's very stressful for me. Mm-hmm. I take longer, longer than most to absorb information. I can relax. Um, and I'm terrible at figures, terrible at numbers. But this is me. So this this means I just need to make sure. So the strategies I put in place for that is that if I'm going to do any of that, because I have, you know, it's it's part of my role that I do that. I just make sure that I schedule enough time that I'm in control of my diary. Yeah. So that I schedule time to do those. And I create an environment with me that's relaxed. That is no pressure, no distraction. And I can fully concentrate and apply myself and focus on the task and take those little mini breaks yeah um, and schedule those in because and also mentally you're going to laugh at this maybe not laugh but I think you'll find this interesting I have to talk my my way around to doing something or redefine it if that makes sense so interestingly when I do my finances I don't view it as a finances calculation working with numbers <laughs> that kind of sends me into a spin <laughs> but I, I view it as a as a process so I'm not focusing on the numbers I'm focusing on the process that yes. I go through and the result is the same it's just the way my brain works so but the upside of that is that you can put me in front of a massive spreadsheet with captured feedback from people hundreds of people and I will spot common themes stories personalities emotions needs and I'll do that till the cows come home it's like they're jumping off the page at me it's like seeing the matrix it's like yeah being in the matrix oh my god I'd never thought you see the matrix you know when people look at those numbers and they all stand out yeah I can hear but I can even hear their voices I can even see their face. I mean, I don't know who they are. They're like characters in a book. And I hear the voices and I hear the frustration and I hear their their commitment, you know, to want to improve. And it just makes the whole thing, rather than it being a, for a lot of people, for me, it's like, oh, look at that. No, we've got a story emerging here and this is interesting. So I have this wild imagination. I think that helps me formulate but yeah. I also realised that how I overcame it was having that confidence Yeah. that now that I know that this is, you know, dyslexia is, is part of who I am or I am part of dyslexia, whatever way you want to look at it. Yeah. I became confident because I, I, I know that my brain will come up with the answer in its, in its own time. And I'll only reduce that if I put pressure on myself. 
and yeah. more confidence in sharing with people like I'm doing today. Yeah. You know. It took away the question mark, didn't it? It's, yes, very good way of looking at it, absolutely. Because it would have been before that, it would have been, you know, the wondering, why? Why do I work? have to work harder than everyone else? And to be honest, I'm going to be asking my mother if I walked or crawled. Like, oh, okay. Because there's a lot of things you're saying. I'm going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Because I always say I'm just definitely dyslexic with numbers because they bounce around and move on me. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't, I do read all right. I don't notice it with that, but I certainly take a lot longer to learn things that other people pick up really fast. There's a lot of things you said I'm just like, I'm going tick, tick, tick. <laughs> and now oh, you, yeah. speaking of that, you have a link, didn't you, that you, we're going to share at the end? Yes. Yes. And it talks about the strengths, the strengths of dyslexia. And um, it's, it's for parents who are homeschooling, but nevertheless, I found it very very useful reading it um so I thought it'd be good to sort of share with everyone if they're interested in uh, learning more about it I will definitely be having a look at it myself and I'm certainly going to be ringing my mum tomorrow and asking her did I crawl first or did I just get up and walk <laughs> yeah I think there's a sort of varying degrees yes I I, I definitely can see similarities and thank you so much for sharing that so if somebody was would you have any pieces of advice maybe three tips or pieces of advice for somebody who perhaps like myself who may or may not have um an, a brain that's ordered differently or somebody like yourself who found out later in life that they were dyslexic or do you have any advice that would help uh, smaller children like teenagers or somebody who may think they're dyslexic? Yes, 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 yes. I think if you're at school, um, I think schools are a lot more aware nowadays. But I think if, if, you know, if you do find yourself taking a little bit longer to absorb or you find that your eyes are darting around when you read, think a lot of children read online now yeah um so I think definitely speak to your speak to your parents and speak to your school and see if there's anything that you could do as an assessment because I think the earlier you do it the uh the it makes a huge difference because you're able to put in strategies that will help yeah you know help you going forward and what they're discovering now with dyslexia, that uh, people who have dyslexia have much greater ability to collaborate, share ideas. They're very good at systems thinking. They're very good at going, oh, look at that over there. And that connects with this. And they um, are very good at creating something from nothing. But there isn't, there's never nothing. There's always one little nugget of inspiration there. That, there's always this. So I think they, yeah, they're great ways to... They're really good at, at, at looking at the bigger picture and seeing patterns and, and so on. Um, but I think if you're an adult, if you do find out that you are dyslexic, it will probably confirm a lot of how you've been feeling uh, about what you do and how you do it and how you absorb information. But it can be, it, as I mentioned, it's the most liberating, removing that question mark yes. and be proud of it because you have so much more strength you you have so so many strengths as, as as somebody with dyslexia that other people don't have they have strengths that you don't have and it helps to get rid of that 
that comparison gene. This is me. And I used to say to people, just so you know, I absorb, I'm going to have to ask you to slow down a bit because I'm dyslexic a little bit and I absorb information differently. Or if somebody asks me a question I don't know the answer to, I'm just going to, I, I say, I'm just going to noodle on that before I answer it to say that I take the pressure off myself. Yeah. But it's, it's joyful at the possibilities of what you can do. Your brain takes you to places. So you, there's no loss, is there? There's just different. Oh, it's all gain. Yeah. Everything is just differences in life. I love how you say noodle on stuff. I'm going to noodle on it. Noodle it. Noodle. It is a technical term. <laughs> oh, you're, a, you're such a delight, Amanda. <laughs> my sweet okay so thank you for sharing all of that about dyslexia and how it was for you because it's really helpful right because I think it probably helped me as well I might be able to remove some of the question marks from my own Mm -hmm. life Um, so have you is there been a big risk that you've ever taken you know we've all taken some big risks I've had a a uh, friend, you know, one of the ladies I interviewed, you know, her biggest risk was bungee jumping. So that's oh, something yeah. I'd certainly never do. Um, but we all take big risks. Sometimes they're a big risk in business, for love, for all kinds of things. Is there a big risk that you've taken, Amanda? And and why did you take it? Well, I, I th- this was um, a funny question for me because I'm quite a cautious person. And then I think, well, maybe I'm not cautious. Maybe I'm just, because of the dyslexia thing, I, I'm very good at sort of going, well, if this happens, then this goes. And I sort of work it out and predict, I go, yes, that's a, a good way to go forward. And other people might view it as a risk, but I don't because I've, I've made it almost as a, calc- I've made the decision based on a council- calculated uh, risk. So I feel like I'm cautious, but I do like to stretch myself. I do like to enter into situations where I'm not quite sure what the outcome is going to be because I like to, oh, this is interesting and new. What's going to happen over here? Oh, look at this. And I learn a lot from that way. I'm I'm kinesthetic learning kind of style. But I think for me, starting up my first business, starting up my own business at the age of 58, (laughs) when most people were thinking about a retirement plan. I was thinking about a career plan probably for the first time <laughs> in my life. And having grown, um, sort of grown, uh, been in the technology industry for 40 years, that, you know, moving from job to job was quite easy. But I thought, oh, you know, what, what do I, at 50, I thought, what do I want to do beyond? I don't want to be getting up at six and meeting with Asia Pack and then putting in a European shift and then meeting at 10 o'clock at night with people in the US. I think I'm done with that. So what do I want to do? <laughs> so for 10 years, I kind of put the plan in place. But yeah, at 58, I set up the company. The girl I was working with, she was in her in her mid-20s. She said to me, oh my gosh, Amanda, she said, she said, um, that's amazing. She said, you know, a woman of your age <laughs> setting up her own business. Good on you. And I was really taken aback at first to be honest at first I thought bloody cheek yeah and what then, a cheek the woman of my age. what a cheek and then I thought hang on a minute yes it is amazing and good on me yeah as I said well you know when most people are thinking about retiring 
I'm thinking of going going for it and putting all my plans in place. So I think it, it was a big risk and it still is a big risk because running, you know, this running your own business is packed full of risk. But that's the exciting thing. They're your risks. Yes. And you you can deal with them. If you're looking for a thrill seeking example. Um, but so I think for me, that was the biggest one. A bit late in life, but that's OK. Well, I think it's a great risk to take at 58, right? Because we're not dead yeah. yet. And, you know, in all likelihood, no. there's another good 40 years left in there. Um, so, you know, why not be doing something that you love for yourself? Exactly. Exactly. And everything that I've learned that we've talked about just, you know, so far, uh, Katie, has been, uh, I've brought into that, you know, including my dyslexia, because learning and development is emotional, change is emotional, you know, customer experience is emotional, is an emotional thing. And, and, And me being able to tune into those helps me do what I love to do around you know, the people side of change. That's the focus of it, is the people side, and it helps. But I've flown over Niagara Falls in a helicopter, oh. which everyone else in the helicopter were just looking straight ahead, hanging. They weren't even looking out the window, and I'm moving and taking pictures. Yeah, so I've abseiled, like you uh, you mentioned earlier, I've abseiled uh, down uh, disused slate mines in Wales. That was fun. Wow. Training. You are an adventurer. So... I wouldn't do it now, but I think in my sort of 30s, that was great fun. Yeah. You are really a risk taker, Miss Amanda. It's got me thinking. I hadn't thought of it like that. I think it's a good, it's good to to get for me to think about it in that way. Because I, you know, a lot of people say to me, oh, Mandy, you should, you know, promote yourself more. And I, you know, that's something, well, it's not about me at the end of the day. It's about my clients. It's about the people I work with. But it's when we promote ourselves that actually lets our clients know. Yeah, yeah. What what we what we can do for them. Yeah, what and what our relationship can be there for. Yeah, like yeah. how we actually can relate to their problem because you know either we've experienced it and you've certainly experienced it. You know, starting a business at fifty eight. Well, that is change in all its glory you know, having to work through that. And it's the the same with um, with dyslexia, having to work with all the different, what you've got to work with things in a completely different way to possibly yeah. other people. But life is change. And I think that's the really nice thing is when you, we share of ourselves, I'm not very good at doing it myself either. But when we do share some a story and, you know, it's the same when you hear somebody else tell you a story, like that fellow that you, when you realise that, oh, maybe I am dyslexic, it was him sharing his story. Yes, it was. And I think storytelling is becoming more and more important, isn't it? Yeah. It always has um, been part of our human history that's how things are passed on down through the generations and probably it's making more of a resurgence in this era for us and you know it's certainly something that you can buy programs on how to do storytelling and all of that from the entrepreneurial point of view but storytelling has been how information's been passed down through tribes and generations ever since they dot that was the only way they had of doing it I agree and I was sort of thinking you've kind of inspired me 
through this conversation, Kate, so far in that maybe there's, you know, I'd like to do some more sort of research in in the context of the value of, of you know, if you're, if you're dyslexic, the value to you is, you know, during times of change, because I think there is some real value, there is some real opportunities. And I don't know, I'm thinking off the top of my head here, but I'd like to do maybe write something about when change happens, you know, what happened, you know, the dyslexic brain, what happens in the dyslexic yes. brain? Because it's like everything is, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> what does that mean? You know, sort of quite a lot of inquiry. But yeah, interesting. You just birthed an idea. I've just but we have just witnessed a little the birth one. of an idea. <laughs> maybe nothing in it. I'll do the research first. I'll let you know. <laughs> Do the query and the checking, and then, yeah, ta da! Well, that's birthing, right? It starts with the concept, yeah. absolutely. So, thank you for sharing your biggest risk with us, Amanda. And I also like to ask this is my always, I always ask these same three questions. So, what's the hardest thing you've ever voluntarily put yourself through, and why? Can you think of something that you've actually voluntarily put yourself through other than starting a business, or maybe it's the same thing, maybe? Yeah. Well, when I when I asked myself that question, the first thing uh, uh, that what occurred to me in answering it was the remembering of of pain, <laughs> and that was <laughs> I did the London to Brighton bike ride for charity, oh. and um, I did it. My father bought me a bike, and I hadn't read it. I hadn't rode it. <laughs> read it. I hadn't rode a bike or ridden a bike for many many years. So I went out on a few trips on it. But when it came to the day, I thought, oh, yeah, no, this will be fun. Anyway, it took me seven hours. It was for charity. It was the British Heart Foundation. So it's all in a good cause. My parents drove down to the Brighton Pier to meet me at the other end. They hired a van, you know, so that we could get the, myself and my friend could get the um, bikes in the back. (laughs) And... (laughs) It took us seven hours, seven hours, because part of that length of time was that we were not very good cycle riders. So it took us a little while to get our confidence, but also we were mucking about and we used to stop and talk to people along route. And they used to give us give us glasses of orange juice because it was a boiling hot day. So we were piddling about most of the time. You're enjoying the journey. Enjoying the journey. Exactly. Getting off and on, walking a bit, pushing a bit. But anyway, by the end of the London to Brighton bike ride, we were very competent um, bike riders. And I'm, and I'm not condoning this to everybody, but I did go over the finish line with no hands. I did do that. <laughs> I, did, I did do the dancing with wolves kind of thing over the Well done, you, because every time I try to take my hands off the bike, I almost crash. <laughs> well yeah. done, you. You must have been good after seven hours. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, How that was old a great day. Sorry. Oh, again, I think it was about thirties. So I'd had enough of bike riding at that point. Um, but the, when I talk about the pain, the real pain was the day after, and I'll, that's what sprang to sprang to mind when I read that question immediately. So I thought, yes, that's the one I'm going to put down. And but the so you might think, well, what was really hard about that? But what was hard about it was the day after. <laughs> I, I won't go into the details, but 
certainly, let's just say my undercarriage was a little bit sore for a week or so. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I, I didn't ride much after that. But well done you, like that's a big ride, you know, that's not to be taken. Yeah. And, and did you do odd. any at, uh, training at all? I went out a few times on the bike uh, down the dual carriageway and my dad was in the car behind me. Were they worried waiting for you for seven hours? <laughs> I think they. I think my mum was not had got beyond worry, and she was getting a bit fed up. All right. But all right, my dad we're going was, home now. She's not doing. Yeah, she was really, really kind of. Oh, well done. Can we go and get something to eat now? But my dad was like, "Oh, Amanda, well done." And he, I can see him now. He's standing there in his shorts and vest, and he had. I don't know if I should say it. He did have a hanky with four knots on, um, on his on his, <laughs> on his head. head. Oh, love him! That's yeah, a very Australian thing. Maybe we picked it is. from the English. <laughs> he was he was over the moon. I think uh, my dad was was very uh, loved everything, you know. And my mum was sort of you know a little bit more. She loved it, but you know, come on, Amanda, enough's enough. <laughs> She would always put the brakes on. She's got a bit bored. Whereas me and my dad would go, let's do more. <laughs> well, speaking of let's do more, what does fun oh, yes. look like for you, Amanda? Because I can see that you actually are a very fun person. Well, oh, gosh, we've only got, I mean, this isn't a rehearsal, is it? You know, we've, <laughs> we've got to do what we love doing or try and do as much of what we love to do if we yeah. can. For me, it's um, dancing. Well, I started dancing I did ballet tap and modern when I was three but tap dancing in particular I loved doing my dad was a drummer so I think um you know inherited his rhythm and my mum loved to dance so I inherited the love so um and I find tap dancing a very good way to clear the mind and the neural pathways yeah that sounds a bit weird because you don't think about anything else than the song that you've got in your head and the dance steps that you're doing. And I find choreography, choreographing new tap routines myself helps to develop new neural pathways. And I think that's really important as you get older. Yeah. Um, do you still do tap dance? I do. Yes, I do tap dancing. I try, um, what I like to do is if I'm having a really, really busy day and I've got a coaching session coming up, I go down and tap dance for about three minutes, three or four minutes. And it just... It just clears everything, and then I can be really focused on my client. Because it's such so, a lovely sound, tap. I had one other yeah. lady I interviewed, and she said she used to do tap dancing, and I said, oh, it's something I've always wanted to do, and I've never done it, but the sound of tap, those shoes. Yeah. I mean, I don't put the shoes on because they'll ruin the kitchen floor, but I do have <laughs> um, what a, I do make sure I'm wearing safe safe shoes to tap dance in yeah no flip no flip-flops <laughs> when I come over um, then I'm coming to your place and you're going to show me some yeah. tap dancing moves uh, I think I've got a little video I might send to you okay good um but yeah I love to dance uh I love listening to jazz again it's all rhythm rhythm associated yeah um I love I love house jazz jazz house Brazilian samba drums if I could stand in the middle of the samba drum in Brazil right next to the drums I would probably levitate that's so anything rhythmic um 
I really enjoy. So yeah, I'm, I'm constantly tapping my feet, fingers, pots and pans, and it just sort of drives <laughs> my, my other half. I was going to say, how does that go with your hubby? <laughs> Not very well. So even he does it, it's okay. But when I do it, it's really annoying. I don't. I don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, you are so delightful. So, how do you relax, Amanda? Swimming. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, swimming. I've worked from home for so many years now that my I was getting back problems and muscle my muscle wastage. And I think with the lockdown as well, that didn't help. So um, I now swim on a regular basis and my core muscles are getting a lot stronger. Yeah. So physically it's helping me, but also mentally as well. So I love to swim. Um, so I try and go every other day. I don't go every day, but you I go every other day. Or do you have heated pool? I'm going, I started earlier in the year to get into a habit in the warm weather so you'll relate to this <laughs> going back to the change thing again I thought if, if I can start when the weather's good and the conditions are good and get my rhythm and my routine in place yes when it comes to, and, and, and get it to a point where it's really laid down habit yeah and that my mindset I mean already everything else revolves around my swimming so that's a good sign for me so the habit is ingrained but when it gets cold and there's many excuses I could use to not go that force is going to be stronger yeah. to battle you know with that so that was my theory behind it get it done now and the the winter time the hard times will be easier a wetsuit might be helpful I'll wait till my tummy is a bit slimmer <laughs> don't matter that's what you're doing it for. in a wetsuit <laughs> Mind you, it'll hold you in. It'll be like a little all-in-one girdle, won't it? Yes, it'll be like, uh, what do they call them? Spandex? Your Spanx? Spanx. <laughs> a pair of Spanx. No. Anyway, let's not go there because my... <laughs> my girlfriend... wearing a pair of Spanx underneath my, <laughs> underneath my swimming costume. There's a lot. A lot to my girlfriend has started, started swimming a bit like you in the summer here and she actually really likes the cold and she only messaged me the other day if she's watching she'll know who she is I've just like been amazed because it is cold at the moment I mean our winter summer like we already discussed are a bit similar but it has been really cold we've had icy winds for a couple of weeks and it's like, are you still swimming? Yes, still getting in the pool and doing my swimming. She says, it's cold when I get in, but then she swims and she warms up. And I think I would never warm up. She, she messaged the other day. She said, well, it's officially too cold for me to swim. I got in, I swam, and then it, it, her whole entire body just... Started to shut down, yeah. Froze up. So, But I couldn't believe that she was still swimming. But it won't last long here, like our cold weather won't last. I mean, it was 24 today, so. But I also have my other friend. She's 73, I think, and she swims through the winter. She Good loves it. Yeah, that's what I want to get to. I was overtaken, well, I get overtaken regularly by 90-year-olds because I, I go on the slow lanes. <laughs> and I'm sort of... <gasps> and they're over with their goggles on. and <laughs> So... Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of perfecting yeah. technique. I've always loved the water, 
I just haven't learned to swim properly. So I'll splash about and play in the waves and, you know, I can tread water and I can do backstroke really well. For some reason, I'm really good at backstroke. But, you know, breaststroke, I'm not so good at. So, you know, I'm... At least you're in there debating. doing it. That's the main thing. We're getting there. And you're enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. So, Amanda, tell me, how did all of your earlier career choices actually lead you to where you are now and what you're doing? Oh, um, well, I was um, one of my first companies. I moved from being in the customer call centre, as it was then. They're nothing like they are now, the call centres. But I was taking calls from customers with problems and sending engineers to site, you know, all over the UK. And then I moved into HR and I was running running the company car fleet and um, there was this guy that was running the learning and development function at the time uh, which included sort of graduates and apprenticeships and youth training schemes and I was really inspired by his approach and his view that you know nurturing talent as a value to an organization was absolutely key and I just liked how he viewed everybody as having talent and he he viewed that you know, the, the diversity that everybody had, that intelligence was not just about achievement, the academic achievement, but it was more about, you know, the skills that you need in business. Yeah. And so I would take every opportunity from doing my company car fleet <laughs> job uh, to meet with him and, and just learn more about what he was doing and his approach and ask lots of questions. And it just felt very natural for me. It was like the obvious thing I needed to do because, oh, that looks good. And it was as though I was answering a, a calling in a way, but being in the 80s he invited me to an interview down the pub because in the 80s a lot of meetings happened down the pub um it was just the sort of the culture in fact the company I worked for had a bar just wouldn't think of now but anyway he asked me if um I'd like to join him as um, an associate assistant training officer uh and of course I said absolutely yes and in them days, it felt so simple. I just moved across, you know, yeah. just found somebody else to do the job. And, and um, but within six months, he and the admin assistant that we had um, was made redundant. And I inherited this big training function with three million pound budget. Oh, and wow. um, I sort of went, oh, so talking about change again. I just did what I could, you know, yeah. to... And, and I realised that I was just maintaining what he had created. I wasn't creating anything new. Yes. Um, so I wanted to do more. I could see that there was potential to do more, but I didn't have the time. So I did something quite weird and everybody thought I was weird. But then I guess... That's brilliant, everybody. That's my... Weird. That's my... Yeah, that's my weird. And I'm proud of it. Yeah. I asked if I could have a manager. And they said, why would you want a manager? Why don't you be a manager? I said, well, I can't be a manager if I don't know what to do. You know, if I don't have the time to grow and develop it and change it in accordance with where the company's going. Yeah. And they said, oh, okay. So they gave me somebody who could take all the management bits away from it. Yes. And I spent more time learning and studying and researching and just to bring new programs in. So I think the work. that was the pivotal point at where my career's started to have a purpose and a direction and I think all of that experience that whole transition that finding that and feeling yeah this is where I'm meant to be and this is what I'm supposed to be doing I think that that really cemented you know what happened after that and where I chose to go yeah after that 
and how it kind of all built on each other and brought you to where you are today. Yeah, exactly. What a smart move to ask for a manager. That was like a pivotal moment really, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought, well, I'm passionate about this. I believe in it. And I, going back to sort of taking risks again, I instinctively knew this was right. And calculating, well, what is it I need in order to be successful? Yeah. I think for me, it wasn't about ego, was it? You know, I guess it was, you know, an investment piece, I think. Yes. So there wasn't any room for ego. Well, I don't think there's room, much room for ego. But there is a little bit. I think it helps sometimes, but. Of course it's helpful. Helps us get yeah. a bit of oomph in our day. Yeah, a bit of vavavoom. Yeah. <laughs> so what motivates you now? Like you're in this field of change. You've taken the big leap of faith. You've started your own business. You're, how long have you had your business now? It- I'm in my third year. Oh, so third year. Yep. Still working it all out. <laughs> I think we never, I don't think there's ever a day where we go, I, I know it all, regardless yeah. of whether it's business, home, life, anything. There, there just is not, I believe if that day comes, that must be the end of our life. Yeah. Because we're just constantly growing, developing and creating. So what motivates you to stick with what you're doing? Because it is such interesting work and I, I absolutely love your when I read your bio which isn't all of what I read on here I read you know there were some other parts that sort of didn't fit but you have such an interesting perception and take and I think it's like you say with with the way that your brain is ordered and works so well this big picture that you see yeah what is it that motivates you to keep going to like to get in there and help companies to be change leaders I want to live in a world and I know this sounds a bit kumbaya but I do I do feel there's opportunity to live in a world where we all have better capabilities for changing and evolving and I think we're as a a, you know a, a globe even we're in an interesting stage of our Maybe we could call it evolution or devolution. I don't know. You know, where are we? And I think as we move more closer to technology, we, and as automation takes over, I think we must be mindful of staying connected with ourselves and who we are. And I certainly didn't receive any classes or education at school about how to manage on how to deal with change. I think we all buy into the saying that change is the only constant. Yes. But no one is given any information about or or skills or uh, approaches to help us deal with it. Yeah. We just experience it the same and we apply the same old, same old. It's it's almost as though we're doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Insanity. Organisations don't train their staff and their leaders to deal with change. Yeah. You have people who go on change management training and how to put a change management plan and a project plan together, um, which is great. But um, that's what motivates me is that there's so much more we could do to have a healthy relationship with change ourselves and see change 
or, or be more aware of the journey that we all go through when change happens and that acceptance of loss and yeah. that resistance yeah. is natural and normal. It's just your brain trying to calibrate what's going on. So you, you've got to ask questions, but unfortunately asking questions is perceived as being obstinate and aggressive and resistant. So yeah. I think we, we've got to build a healthy relationship with change and also leaders and organisations have got to build a healthy relationship with change so that's what motivates me is this getting to a point where we're always ready willing and able to change yeah and that's an emotional mindset thing not process well it is a process but it's more of an emotional response the emotional stuff's going to be in there right because if change is if we do the things everything like that you're talking about which is what i talk about too yeah the change, getting with all the perspectives in that, it reduces the stress. And it's stress yeah. that kills yeah. us, right? It's stress that, you know, if somebody's at work and change is happening and they're not being involved or, you know, cared about through that journey, then they get really stressed. But they need the job, so they... Yes you know, grin and bear it, but then they go home and then they're doing unhealthy stress habits, you know, and that's why I really like this This podcast is about this because there's people that are needing to lose weight, change their health, but they're struggling to do those, those new habits because of this that's happening at work that's causing their stress. And what you're doing is helping to alleviate that in the workplace. Yeah. So that then their home habits, their relationship habits, their financial habits, you know, like I was talking to uh, Rachel Smith on this show and she helps people to stop spending their money. Like her, her book is called Underspent. And oh, um, nice. how to, yeah, she didn't buy anything for a whole year and saved 38% of her salary. And you know, and so she helps people, like, between us all, it's the same, we're achieving the same thing in the different areas because when we're stressed, we're either retail therapy, you know, we're uh, eating or drinking or we're doing things that, or we're having poor relationships. And what you're doing, because most of our life is spent at work, so what you're doing is such a crucial thing in helping all of those things because as you change, uh, get companies and, and workplaces to change in a way that addresses everybody's emotional states and takes them through the journey, that reduces their stress, which improves their health, improves their finances and improves their relationships. It's so connected. Yeah, totally agree with that. It's 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 understanding and being aware of those steps you know what what shows up you know as we go through a change rather than what you were saying right at the beginning I'm this weight and then I want to be this weight and and there's nothing in between yeah <laughs> and if I become the you know if we, if we make this change if I become this weight or if I look like this and all then all my problems are solved and they're not magically gone and, magically got exactly and I think in the current climate at the moment you know where, where employees are holding the cards when it comes to who they work for mm. uh, at the moment there's a danger that leaders are going to stop communicating or leaving it right to the last minute to, to talk about when there's going to be some change through fear of 
loss you know people leaving yeah through fear of loss and um when I coach leaders I had one guy sort of say to me I, I don't understand it Amanda two weeks ago I gave a presentation to the team and they still don't get it <laughs> and I, I showed them a showed him a picture of something you know a little wheel and I said well look at that and tell me where you are and he said oh well I'm definitely here in understanding I get it and I said well look at all the others where would you place each of your team members and he went oh yeah okay I get it I said so you've been through this and you've got to understanding so now you need to go meet people where they are and if you feel that you've still got somebody in loss and talk about that and what yeah. that might mean for them because they're not going to move on when we've lost something we're in fear of, of you know taking the next step because we fear danger yeah and your job is to help you know and they won't take a step forward until you've until they feel safe I said so your job is to help them feel safe yes. then you've got somebody who's been through that and now they're going hang on a minute what's all this about why aren't we doing this and I've got this idea and why don't you take on my ideas? And, and, and they, they're pushing for more information. And you see that as resistance, but really, you know, they're, they're trying to help. They're, they're trying to help themselves and they're trying to help. Exactly. So you give them information and say, what more information do you need? And you help them. And then you've got people that are going, ah, I'm confused because their world that they used to know is becoming smaller and smaller. And the world they don't know is getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. And it's all becoming very overwhelmed. So they have to, so you then have to say, look, take some time out, have a rest. Um, let's just focus on one thing at a time. Look after yourself, you know, because that is a time at which most people give up yes. when they confuse. But the good thing it's is when confused mind says no, doesn't it? Confused mind says no. But then again, it also is an opportunity to get creative because when you've got a blank piece of paper, your brain can't help itself to go, oh, we could do this. And then you're over that hump and you can get more into that discovery and understanding. And that's what I try and get out to employ managers and say, look, you know, we need to do this with your teams as well. There's no point you knowing this and them not knowing this because wouldn't yeah. it be great if you plop this up one meeting and say, okay, where is everybody on this cycle at the moment? Where are you at? And what, where are you at? What help do you need? How can we help each other? Um, what information is required? And just have an open discussion about it. The secret to life, an open discussion about everything and getting everyone to be comfortable because we all have different backgrounds and, and whether or not, you know, we trust ourselves to be able to be openly chatting about our true thoughts and feelings about things. I so love what you do. Yeah. And I think if we don't talk about it and we've that there are gaps for us, then our mind is going to fill in the gaps with all the story. It'll make stuff. up one. The dark, yeah. Yeah. And our and our gremlins are going to have a field day. Yeah. What's that thing? Uh, in lieu of facts, I'll just make up my own. I'll just make it up, yes. Yes. Oh, Amanda, it's been such an absolute delight talking to you. Thank you so, so very much for coming on the show. Where can people find you? I know I'm going to put all the details up at the end, but if you'd like to just say where people can find you, um, if they want to know more about your business and how you can help them. Well, I'm on LinkedIn, um, so it'd be lovely to connect. Um, 
and um, you know I post regularly there but I, I also love engagement and interaction uh, from people and questions and things to noodle on but you can also view my website it's at w well obviously www.changetempo.com mm -hmm. and there's resources and information in there and videos and so on um, and also there's my email amanda page at changetempo.com Thank you so, so very much for coming on the show today, Amanda. It is such a pleasure talking with you and I can't wait to do some more work with you. I'll run those ideas past you later on. Oh, Katie, thank you. It's been a beautiful experience. I appreciate it. It's been a delight. And thank you to everybody who's joined us today and watching uh, the show and enjoying our banter. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have and as Amanda has. And, <laughs> and as always, it's really hard to say goodbye. So please do subscribe so that you'll know when the next show's out. And um, please leave us a comment if there's something that we've talked about today that has resonated with you, inspired you, or maybe even something you disagree with. We want to hear it all because that's what we're into is everything that you want to talk about, we want to hear about it. And please give us a like. We really love the encouragement. And uh, please do tell us if there's a, an obstacle that you need help to overcome or anything at all. We are here to help. So thanks again for watching and we will see you on the next show. And in the meantime, here's to your health and happiness so that you can love what you create. Bye for now.